Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Uh, Titus asked me what I was preaching last night for Sunday service, and I said, I'm preaching on the pastor that gets a break. So we want him to come to this pulpit. God bless you, Titus. Thank you for the word. Well, praise the Lord, church. It's good to be in the house of God. He's so good. Always, always so good. I'm going to try not to keep anybody too long. I know we've been here for a little while, but I do feel like that God has something that He wants us to understand and wants us to know. And um, So I'm going to speak that to the best of my ability. If you could turn into your, to your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verse 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. In this, uh, in this scripture, um, the disciples, they started, they, they liked to ask Jesus a lot of questions. Just kind of off the cuff it seemed like they would ask him a question. But you can always seem to tell there's motivation behind the questions that they ask. A lot of times, you know, in life, we ask a lot of loaded questions. Or we hear a lot of loaded questions. Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, questions that lawyers ask. And if you say yes, then, you know, you lied. If you say no, then you still lied somehow. So there's just, sometimes there's loaded questions out there. But they kind of ask Jesus a loaded question here. Let's read it together. It says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, you guys don't have to repeat it. I'm sorry. I did say read it together. I apologize. This ain't one of those scriptures. (laughs) It says, uh, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words... Am I the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's what they were asking. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are are some uh, strong words. It's written in red right here in my Bible. You know, when we hear about can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, we think, oh, i got to be born of water and of spirit. You know, those are the main things we think of when we think can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. We've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. We've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. We've got to repent of our sins. But Jesus says, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatsoever therefore, or whosoever therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned into the depths of the sea. You can be seated. So I'm not going to be speaking today about children's evangelism, even though the scripture is is used many times for stuff like that, um, and that is good. Children need the Holy Ghost too. Children need God's touch just as much as we do. There's a lot of children out there in this world that don't have anyone that's ever told them that they love them, and that saddens me to think. That, you know, I've said it so many times to my children that I love them. And sometimes you do it in passing. You don't think about it that much. But there's kids that don't even hear that in passing, I love you. But if you see a child, they probably need a hug. And they definitely need loved. But these disciples, they weren't asking Jesus to, you know, preach to them and compare them to a child. They didn't want to hear that. The disciples, they asked Jesus this question that was divisive in nature. It caused division by asking the question. It was motivated by desires to be affirmed. Have you ever really wanted just to be affirmed by somebody? Affirmation. um, That's why, you know, the guy on the football team sometimes is motivated to be the very best because his father never told him that he loved him. His father never told him that he was good at anything. And it drove him to be the best, to prove to his father, prove to his mother, prove to whoever that he could be the best and he could be worthy. There's a lot of people that are walking around without that affirmation. And the disciples, they were no different. They felt like they needed to be affirmed. At the core of their heart, I believe, was a longing to be the very best that they could be. But for the kingdom, they wanted to be the best. Yet, that desire was surrounded by the age-old misunderstanding that you have to compare yourself with others if you want to succeed, or at least feel good about your current insufficient state. Have you ever been there? Have you ever compared yourself to others? Thought, if I compare myself to others, I won't feel so bad about myself. Or I compare myself to others and it makes me feel really bad about myself. Either way, there's just nothing really that good about it when we compare ourselves with other people. So that's where they were. They were asking a question, a loaded question. They asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of of heaven? In other words, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's what they were asking. They were waiting for affirmation from Jesus and they thought that Jesus would lift one up and push the others down. And they couldn't wait to hear who was the favorite. That was on their minds. On the edge of their seats, they waited until Jesus spoke a word of correction to them that put all comparisons to rest. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, in other words, listen up, this is very, very important. Don't miss this. He said in verse 3, except you be converted 
Or in other words, if you look up that word, it means to repent or turn away from the direction that you're going. In other words, hey, you're wrong. I'm telling you right now, you need to be converted. Stop what you're doing. Repent, first off, because you're wrong, and become as little children. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven without that, without becoming little children. Jesus goes on to say, Whatsoever therefore shall, or whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you lower yourself, it is like being raised up in the eyes of heaven. The lower we go in our humbleness, in, in, in our ideas of, of knowing that we're no better than anyone else, our humbleness, that raises us up in the eyes of heaven. That's why Moses was able to be used so powerfully that he could touch a rock and water would come out of it. That he would be able to throw a limb in, in some water that was bitter and it becomes sweet. That he could um, go up to Moses or go up to a, a Pharaoh and to speak words of these plagues that would come because he was so humble. He was so humble that he couldn't even hardly speak. That's the kind of humbleness that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is telling them that they had it all wrong. We're not, be, we're not great because of what God does for us or even through us. That doesn't make us great because of what God will do with this vessel. If God will use this vessel the way that He wills, then that's His decision. That doesn't make us great because God uses us. But what makes us great is when we have childlike faith and we trust in Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We know that without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. According to Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to, to please God. We have to have faith. We have to have faith that He is, that He is God, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That is the start of it is faith. Sometimes we come to church and we have hope. We have a bunch of hope that God will take care of our needs. We think it's faith. We have faith that God will heal us. We think that we have faith that God will deliver us. But really what we have is we have hope that God will take care of our need and then we don't really need Him anymore. But true faith leads us to a place that God, whatever you decide, whatever you choose, that's good for me. That's what I need in my life is what, what's good for me is, is what you give and what you choose, God. That's the type of faith that God is wanting us to have and wanting us to have on display as a church body. That God, no matter what, Your will be done in my life. Your will be done. If Peter just had hope in God, then he would have never gone through all the trials and, and, and turmoil and been beaten and imprisoned for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he only had hope in it for God to meet his needs, but he didn't have faith, he would have never endured that and then was sacrificed upside down. He would have never went through that if he didn't have faith. Faith says, God, no matter what you choose, that's what I want for my life. And that's the faith that God wants to see on display in this church. That's what this church needs to thrive is that type of faith, that childlike faith. But Jesus is telling the disciples that 
that their understanding in His kingdom, in this kingdom, is faithless. We're to have faith that not only trusts in God, but brings the church together. Brings the church together. I've noticed something about children. Children don't seem to be very easily offended. If they, if they get offended, they forgive so quickly. Children, they, they have a heart that wants to believe. They want to believe. And they want to forgive. They don't hold on to, um, bitterness and they don't hold, they don't even have a concept of bitterness. They don't have concepts of holding on to grudges. They may not like somebody because of the way that they constantly treat them, but they're not holding on to unforgiveness a lot of times. That's a child. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. We should want to believe when we come in here that God is going to be in this place and He's going to meet our needs and He's going to save souls. We should be the people that forgive and forget. Also, I've noticed something else about children. They want to be a part of exciting things that are going on. They want to be a part of things that are exciting, that are just, wow, I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of something. And they love to learn and to grow. And they aren't always held back by all that they that could go wrong with the experiences. They're not held back by, you know, what this decision that I make could cause, you know, to happen in my life if I jump off of this building or if I jump off of these steps. They don't think about that their ankle is going to get rolled. They don't think about, I don't even know if kids' ankles get rolled because they're so flexible. But children, they are just so innocent and they're so full of faith and they... They desire to, to do exciting things and be a part of exciting things. There's exciting things going on in this church right now. There's exciting things that are happening in this place. And I'm so thankful that it's on display. And it was on display today when the body was ministering to the body. But children, they simply believe. Jesus said you won't even enter into heaven unless you repent from your mindset. Become as little children and humble yourself. Why is that? Why was that even a thing that Jesus said to them? Because being the church and reaching a lost and dying world requires thinking and being different than the rest of the world. I've noticed something about the world too. The world doesn't value children the way that God values children. Yes, we love our kids and people out there love their kids. Even, even evil people sometimes love their children. I'm not doubting that. But have you noticed that everything in the world, especially, you know, commercials that are drawn, they're not, they're not trying to put out good products that kids will enjoy a lot of times. They're trying to make money off of children. They're trying to get it in, in the kids' heads that they need something. And then they go begging to mommy or daddy. And that's, that's the concept that the world has, that they don't really care that much. A lot of people don't care that much about children in, a, in the worldly mindset, in the mindset of the world. The world teaches a lot of things to us as children of God. They try to teach us, well, not just even as children of God, but all people, the world tries to teach self-promotion. The, the, the world tries to teach selfishness. 
putting others down and lifting yourself up. The world teaches us to talk about and promote ourselves. That is the concept of the world. That is the concept that we have to fight against every day at the workplace, at school, in our colleges. The mindset that we have to uplift ourselves. We have to promote ourselves. We have to make sure that everybody knows that I just walked in the room. That's the concepts of the world. But I'm telling you that that junk doesn't belong in the church. It does not belong in the church. None of that stuff, that self-promotion, should be what we're about at this church. People are drawn to a church that is different from the world. People that are hungry and thirsty for God are drawn to a place where there's light, not darkness. The world promotes the idea that you can make decisions on your own. You don't need a pastor to tell you what to do. You don't need a pastor that tells you what's right and what's wrong. The world teaches us to trust in money. Hold on to our money. Don't pay tithes. Always worry about making sure that you have enough money to buy stuff that you don't need. So you can, you can make yourself feel like you're worth more if you have more. That's the concept of the world. I see it on display all the time. There's guys at work that buy trucks after trucks after trucks. And they say they'll never buy another truck again. And then two years later, they're buying a new truck. You know, and it, they just get more and more expensive. And, I mean, that's fine if you want to buy a new truck. Nobody's dogging that. I'm just saying that some people get, like, all their affirmation out of their life from what they drive, what they wear, where they go to eat, what they spend their money on. They don't just buy something, but they want to try to flaunt it. You know, we've all been there. We've all wanted to be impressing somebody with new shoes or new suit or something. I'm not saying that I'm not the only one that's, uh, you know, I've experienced it too. But that's a concept of the world. Children know they need a mom and a dad to tell them right from wrong. Like we should know we need a pastor to tell us right from wrong. If you have big decisions in your life, you need to take it up with your pastor. You need to talk to him about it before you make a decision that could alter your life, alter your family. Children also don't worry or fret about money. And oftentimes they're very generous. I see my kids sometimes try to give away all their money to me. You know, they might overhear us talking about like, like, oh man, we gotta, you know, get a new sticker for the license plate on the vehicle, whatever. Oh, it's gonna be like a hundred bucks. Daddy, you can have all my change, you know. Like, oh, that's really nice, but you can keep that. But they're generous. Kids are generous. So, and they don't worry about money. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. I mean, they shouldn't. In, in a healthy family, children should not worry about where their next meal comes from. The world also teaches that you should never go to um, someone and tell them that they offend you. They, they offended you. You should never deal directly with problems that you have with people. You should go behind their back and start talking about them. Start talking with everybody else about how you have a problem with this person. The last thing you do is go to that person. Now, I know there's uh, those uh, snappy ladies that uh, you know want to be direct. <laughs> 
You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I'm, I'm, a lot of times we take the cowardly way out. We try to talk behind people's back. We don't want to talk and, and deal directly with the problem. That's the concept of the world because it divides. It conquers. It destroys relationships. That's the world's teaching. This is why Jesus told the disciples right after this, in, um, later on in verse 18, or in chapter 18, Jesus tells us of the disciples that there are three ways to handle dealing with problems in the church. Speak to the person face to face alone. That way leaves a good opportunity for repentance and talking through things. And then the second thing, if that doesn't work, bring a witness or two so that every word can be established. Everyone hears the words that are spoken. This is the concept of a healthy church. And then the last thing, if that doesn't work, then bring them before the whole church. Thank God we've never really had to do that, I don't think. <laughs> oh. But anyway, unless, unless that's what I'm doing right now, I'm standing before the church, I don't know. But uh, anyway, but God tells us that that is His plan. I've noticed also, oftentimes um, that children, even though a lot of times they run to mommy and daddy and say, this person hit me or whatever, first they start like yelling at each other and dealing with the problem direct. You know? We hear them yelling at each other, trying to solve the problem that they sometimes cannot solve on their own. And then they go to mom and dad. That's how it happens in my house anyway. But the Bible doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, go to your pastor or pastor's wife about every little problem that you have with somebody. Or tell the witnesses first, then talk to the offender. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus wanted us, and I just think that it's, all this runs together. That Jesus never stops talking after they ask Him one question. He never stops talking for 20 verses. So this is all in hand, hand in hand. Concepts of the kingdom of God. God's trying to do something. He's trying to unite the disciples unto one body and one mindset. So you may be asking, why am I saying all this? Why now? Why? You know, it might sound like something maybe the pastor should be preaching about. And trust me, I've already dealt with that because I thought, like, you know, I should, you know, maybe I shouldn't be teaching this, but this is what I felt like God wanted me to speak. So that's what I'm doing. But, I'm saying this now because Landmark is seeing the first fruits of the harvest coming in. And revival really is upon us. We're seeing that. We're seeing us progress as a body. We're seeing us progress as a people of God. And we're seeing walls coming down and chains breaking. We're seeing the first fruits coming in. There's not much time left before the end does come. We've been feeling it. We've been hearing people talk about that, that Jesus is coming back. Sister Oliver stood there before us and told us that God told her to get that boat out and start teaching that lesson again because Jesus was coming back soon. So we need to make sure that we're united to bring in this bountiful harvest that God has promised this church. We're looking at a field that is white and it's ready for the harvest. We're facing it every day, but it cannot be reaped by one, two, or even just a handful of people. 
The lost, they need a church to come out to the field and to get them. They need a church that is united and ready to conquer, ready to take them and show them the truth of the Word of God. We have to get united first in the Spirit. United in the Spirit. What we do in this body will affect what happens out there. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 through 20, we use these scriptures all the time when we're talking about prayer and we're talking about coming together and destroying the kingdoms of darkness. And that is good. That is what these scriptures can, can, can accomplish if they're done right. It says in verse 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two or three agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's why sometimes you're not able to overcome something you've been praying about because you need to go find somebody and pray with them. Have them agree together with you. But Matthew 18, 18-20, I believe does not happen without Matthew 18, 3 and 4. When Jesus is talking about coming to be like a child, to be, it says, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't happen. The, the binding and loosing, agreeing together doesn't happen unless we have that mindset of a childlike faith and trust in God. We cannot be a church that is so consumed with my ministry, with my calling, with my department, my class, my pew, my favorite song. I'm not going to worship until I hear this favorite song. All of that is worldly mindset and worldly mentality. But this is the church. We're united together is what we're called to be. We're united. Kingdom-minded people have kingdom-minded growth or kingdom growth and kingdom revivals if we're kingdom-minded. Kingdom-divided people, they have my kingdom mentalities and revival dies on the doorstep before it even gets to the threshing floor. It dies. We cannot allow this revival to die. We cannot allow it to be ripped from our hands. Every day we need to be praying in the Spirit, uniting in the Spirit. Sometimes we've seen God speak through one person and it's confirmed something else that somebody else has, has spoken. Or a message that was preached by pastor that someone else had spoken a word before that and confirmed it. Why is that? Because there's uniting in the Spirit. There's uniting in the Holy Ghost. Somebody's prayed before they walked in here. Somebody sought the face of God. Somebody prayed for you and me before they walked into this place. That's a church that I want to belong to. That's a church that I can get behind. 
Because that's a church that has real change and has real dreams being fulfilled and lives being completely made whole. When I'm talking about unity, a lot of people think about the Scripture in in Psalms 133, verse 1 through 3. And I'm going to read that for you. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. In other words, it's like the oil that ran down Aaron and it, it was the anointing oil, the oil of approval that Aaron was called to do the work of God. And how unity, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity is just like that oil that runs down and covers covers the humanity. It covers all the things that, that cause him to be human or be my, his mindset being from this world. It covers that. It saturates him in the spirit. But then it goes on to say, as the dew of Hermon, even as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. And I got to thinking about that. I've never thought, never heard anybody really talk about that part of the scripture. And I don't know, did you guys go to uh, Mount Hermon or see that? It was, uh, I looked up pictures of it and, and there was a mountain, like just a big, big long mountain or mountainous area and it was covered by snow and it was off in the distance and it was technically in Lebanon so I don't know how close you got to that. But it says that unity, it compares unity also to as, as the, the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. So I, I looked up that word the dew of Hermon. And that, that word Hermon means consecrated place. Consecrated place. So I got to looking into this whole thing and I realized what was happening and what this was all about. The mountain was really worth something because of the dew that rested upon it because of the mist that was upon this mountain. This dew that David is referring to is more of like a powerful mist. It's not like just the dew that covers the grass and covers the trees and all that. But it was like a mist rising up in the mountains. And there's pictures of this mountainous area that that is covered with mist. And this mist covers the snow-capped mountains and waters the plains and valleys all the way to Jerusalem. It's in the north part. And, and, and it's, it's the water source for every crop, every tree, every grape, every bit of life in between. In those summer times when it gets so hot, this, this mountain creates a mist and it causes it to go down into the plains and to cover and to bring life to these areas that are dry, these areas that don't oftentimes get as much rain in the summer months. But it, it comes from the Mediterranean, from the sea there, and it, it is attracted by the height of the mountain and it condenses into a thick moisture. A moisture cloud and that moisture cloud, cloud creeps down the mountain to the plains and waters everything. And the plains in turn 
Help the snowy mountains to stay fresh with clean snow, fresh springs, and strong cedars that cover the mountainside. Heard of the uh, cedars of Lebanon? That's one of the areas where this is. And it does that by letting the sun evaporate the dew and return it to the atmosphere to be reused all over again. So David is saying that this is like unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That it's like a mist that sits upon the Mount of Hermon. And as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. So it goes from this mountainous area down to Zion, down to Jerusalem, down to the southern country. And it covers that all the way down. When the people of God unite with Christ or with childlike faith, and make a place of consecration like this place is right here, it will cause unity to spread like the mist on a mountain and water the dry plains that is Bethalto. Why did, why did Ezekiel speak to the bones and, and, and the flesh and the tendons to come together before the breath of life came to them? Because it was in unity that the body could function that the body could actually be successful and could be um, made whole. We're not whole unless we're together. We have no hope of watering these, these dry plains out here and these people that are walking down our streets or driving down our streets or we run into in the library. We don't have a chance of, of reaching them without bringing unity together and being connected in the Spirit first. There's been prayers that have gone up, gone up to heaven. And we've been unified together in our prayer meetings and in our times of consecration. But we need to keep this spirit of unity and we need to do it by becoming like children and having faith in God. Not coming here to this place just to get our needs met. But to say, God, whatever you choose, that's what I want. God, whatever you desire, that's what I need in my life. Because you might pray blessings out of your life. You might pray the long-term goals that God has for you out of your life because of a little bit of pain right now. You will miss out on, on the perfect will of God if you just allow the good will of God and the, and the, and the, and the pleasant will of God to, to come into your life. You need the perfect will of God. This church needs the perfect will of God. So we're looking at a harvest. We're looking at people that are hungry. And this is the church that preaches the truth in this area. This is the church that has the light of Jesus Christ. We've been buried in the name of Jesus. We know the power of the name of Jesus. We know that there is one God. We know that you have to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have to have the Holy Ghost. We're preaching that. People need that gospel. But they're not going to want what we have to say and what we have to preach if we're not unified, if they don't feel that spirit of unity in this place. And I asked God last night when I was leaving to confirm uh, His Word, when I was leaving the youth building from studying, I asked God to just confirm His Word. And you know, I seen there was mist outside. And I thought, well, that's cool, but, you know, God, still confirm your word. 
and then I wake up this morning and take the dog out and I'm surrounded by mist. And I just got to thinking, you know, I feel like God did what I uh, was asking, the, answered my prayer. Because there's something so amazing about the mist in the morning. There's something so peaceful about it. I mean, unless you're driving down the road, I guess. It'd be a little dangerous, but... Uh, there is something so like refreshing about walking outside when there's the dew in the morning and the mist just filling the atmosphere. There's something so pleasant about it. Something that draws you in, almost like a painting or like a beautiful picture. What was like to see mountains that have mist upon them? It just adds to. You know, it's just something about it that is so just pleasant. And that's what people will feel in this place when they walk in here and they feel the unity that we have and the love we have for one another. This is a place of hope and this is a place where people can find exactly what they need. And I noticed people were talking about yokes and taking the yokes off. And I thought that was kind of funny because the Bible does talk about yokes and the Bible does talk about being yoked doesn't talk about that we should be yoked to sin and things that hold us down. And yes, we definitely choose yokes in our life to hold us down and weigh us down. And we become enslaved by sin. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Sometimes we... um, We create an atmosphere in our life where God can't speak to us because of the company that we keep. Because that doesn't mean that you you can't be friends with people that are unbelievers. That doesn't mean that you can't be cordial or nice to them. That doesn't mean that. That just means don't link up with them. Don't yoke yourself together with them. Don't get in like-mindedness with them. That's not what we're called to do. One person's going to change in that relationship. And it's more than likely going to be us. So we don't want that. We have to yoke together with fellow believers. Do we have any believers in this place? We have believers in this place that are full of faith. And we need to link up together. We need to protect each other. We need to be not unequally yoked with people that are not believers. We're called to tear and divide the kingdoms of Kingdoms of darkness. But if we are divided, then of course we will fall. We can't let that happen. We're standing on the threshold of something miraculous. Something miraculous that God's trying to do in this city. Why did He call pastor here uh, 25 years ago? Because somebody wanted this. Somebody desired this. Somebody was hungry for the Word of God. Someone was tired of just living the same old things over and over again. And God heard somebody's prayer. And there's more people out there right now that are crying out to God in the nighttime and they're asking for the same thing that this body of believers that are here today were calling out for. But we have to be united. We cannot divide the darkness if we are divided. In eighteen, in, in, in Matthew eighteen, eighteen, it says, 
Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Maybe we are sometimes not seeing the results of heavenly things that we've been asking for because we are bound, we are bound here on earth. We're bound by our disunity. We're, we're bound by our lack of kingdom-mindedness. We're, we're bound by our comparisons one to another. This church doesn't need that. This town, this city doesn't need that. There's full, it's full of places like that. They don't need it. They need unity. They need strength. They need the truth. And that's why we're here. And that's why God called us here. One more thing about children. As I close here. If we could all stand. Children a lot of times sometimes get caught up in, in, in childlike fantasies and, and believing in you know creatures that don't exist and they get caught up sometimes in their storybooks and, and, and all this stuff. But there's something to that that we can learn from. Children, if you tell them, at a young age, if you tell children about angels, they'll start believing in angels. And I know we don't talk about angels that much. Sometimes when we have a guest speaker that God has used, um, you know, sometimes they've said that there's been angels in this place. And I believe that there are angels in this place. But angels, in, in Matthew 18, verse 10, it says that, and Jesus is talking about the children, people with childlike faith, people that put their trust in God fully. It says that their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. We need angelic activity in this church. We can't do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. It's not the will of God. It's not the plan of God for us to be on our own just trying to do everything. God chose man to do what angels cannot do. And that's preach the Word of God and to speak the Word of God. But angels minister to the body of Christ. Angels are drawn to unity. Angels are drawn to worship. When we get united in worship and praise to God, angels are drawn. They want to be in that atmosphere. And they bring sometimes with them healing. They bring sometimes with them gifts from God. Or they bring bring sometimes um, messages from God, I mean. And God speaks to people through angels. We need, we need to unite not only with each other, not only in the Spirit with each other, but we need to unite with the heavenly host. Because we can pray that God would allow angels to go to people and to fight against the darkness that is warring against them. When we can't do it on our own, and sometimes we think, what am I supposed to do? I can't, I can't tell them and they won't, or if I tell them they won't listen to me. But we can pray that God would release angels to go and to hear the Word of God or to speak the Word of God to them, to their heart, to tear down strongholds. If we bind it on earth, then God said it's going to be bound in heaven. So I just want us 
if you would, to come to this front. And I want you to find somebody to pray with. And I want us to unite together. And I want us to pray that God would bring such a strong unity in this place that it would divide the kingdom of darkness. That it would divide the kingdom of darkness forever. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, bind us together, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, unify us together, God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Heart of worship, Jesus, and it's all about you. Hallelujah.